Welcome to another Tyrius Cast. I'm Jim McGregor and I'm joined today by my colleague Kevin Crewell. Today we're going to discuss the flurry of semiconductor acquisition announcements we've seen recently and why we're seeing them despite some of the challenging political environments. Yeah, it's unusual considering in the past some other big deals have been squashed. Probably the most obvious one was the Qualcomm NXP merger. And then all these uh, announcements coming on and they're all and people are assuming these deals will go through even despite you know, all the other issues, challenges, especially China, which has been very reticent to approve a lot of deals, especially big deals. And a lot of these things are very big deals, too. Yeah, it's interesting. We've seen four announcements in just about, what, last six or eight weeks. We've seen analog devices proposing an acquisition with Maxim, NVIDIA proposing an acquisition of ARM, AMD trying with Xilinx, and Marvell with Infi over the past week. However, you know, it's interesting because one thing each one of these guys noted is that they're expecting anywhere from 12 to almost 24 months just to get these through regulatory approval. Yeah, the regulatory approval is not slam dunk as it might have been in the past. I would expect that each one has its own challenges. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I think already we're seeing, specifically on the NVIDIA ARM one, we're seeing some grumblings from the UK government about it. We've yet to hear from other regulatory agencies yet for any of these deals. Each one is going to present a different challenge for regulatory approval. It looks like from a stock or money point of view, each of them has their deals kind of lined up pretty well. A lot of them are actually now stock transactions like the AMD Xilinx, the analog devices maximum. So they're not, you know, the companies aren't raising money to buy out these companies, even though money is relatively cheap. Yeah, you mentioned that that's a $35 billion deal. And unlike when they bought ATI, which is only, what, $5 billion, they're going strictly for stock. I think definitely the high stock valuations, despite recent uh, reduction in some of the stock valuations over the past week, they're still relatively high. And a lot of the tech companies are kind of looking to leverage that and or the free money. Yeah, the stock market has been a little volatile of late, but each of these companies still have pretty strong valuations compared to historic valuations. So the question is, why are all these companies deciding to merge all these relatively big acquisitions taking place? You know, I think the biggest reason, and the last wave we saw, which really started about a decade ago with whole IoT era, that was around obtaining intellectual property. I think this one is really more about TAM expansion. A lot of these companies are facing limited growth. You know, if you think of PCs and smartphones, those are maturing markets. You know, that's where AMD plays. That's where a lot of these guys play in the PC and the smartphone. So if they're in those markets, they got to look for new places to grow. And there's no real killer app now. So they have to start looking at these other high growth segments. Yeah, I would agree that certainly the AMD Xilinx rationale, I think, is very much tied to expansion of the TAM. The Marvell Infi is I think it's more of covering the a wider sense, wider selection of the market, adding the um, optical connections. The uh, NVIDIA ARM one is not, is a TAM. Yeah, it is a, definitely a TAM. It's a TAM. Yeah, but it's it's also a completely different business model. And in my mind, this was NVIDIA's opportunity to own an ecosystem, which is the ARM ecosystems. And that's a rare opportunity. And I don't think anybody else was willing to take that challenge on, except for NVIDIA. That was the boldest of, of all four of these deals in that regard. 
Yeah, except for analog devices and Maxim. I mean, that one is probably the easiest one to look at because they're both in the same market. They overlap, so it's pretty mm -hmm. much gaining market share, especially against number one, which would be Texas Instruments in that segment. So, I mean, that... Yeah, it's a consolidation. Yeah, consolidation. I think that one kind of is a slam dunk. I'm not sure about the other three, though, especially the NVIDIA and ARM and the AMD and Xilinx. Well, certainly the NVIDIA ARM is going to raise a lot of eyebrows because most customers prefer ARM to be a fairly independent independent and even being owned by SoftBank, SoftBank was considered a somewhat independent entity, didn't have any allegiances, wasn't a direct competitor. Having ARM under the auspices of NVIDIA, it definitely brings some competition issues to light, you know, certainly with companies like NXP, Qualcomm. I mean, there's a litany of companies that compete with NVIDIA that are ARM licensees. So it's going to be a little challenge for how is NVIDIA going to keep hands off of ARM? <laughs> <Joke there. laughs> That's but, bad. Uh, the, yeah, it is bad. There's so many ARM jokes, though. The AMD Xilinx deal, it's clearly a, a TAM. They don't overlap very much, and I think there's definitely a TAM aggregation here. But, you know, even there, there's going to be some challenges to the deal. When Intel bought Terra, it was a different era. It was before the trade tensions with China took a turn for the worst. So it was relatively straightforward, I think, the Altera acquisition by Intel. And we'll see how AMD plays this out, with, especially with China. Xilinx is an important player in China for a lot of the markets there because it is the premier number one a provider of FPGAs, and those are used in a lot of telecommunication equipment uh, manufactured in China. Yeah, in addition to that, you have to think that Intel didn't necessarily see the full revenue recognition that they expected out of acquiring Altera. AMD is now acquiring a company that a lot of their sales are in markets that AMD is not in. Now, that could be good, you know, going after Mel Aero, going after automotive, going after mm -hmm. all these other segments that they haven't been in. But also, AMD hasn't always been fully committed to go. I mean, they, they've gone after after those segments and bits and pieces over the years, but they've never been fully committed to it. So if they're going to see that full value, AMD has to be fully committed. Now, a few years ago when AMD was really struggling before the Zen architecture came out, Lisa Su had a strategy that said basically, you know, we want more than 50% of our revenue coming from these alternative markets, not just PCs and servers. This might actually be a key to achieving that. We'll have to wait and see if AMD is really going to continue to invest in those segments to do that. Yeah, and I've also seen some criticism of the deal based on, you know, AMD is just now starting to really take off and gaining share in server space and PCs and all that. The question somebody raised was, well, is this a distraction now? Just as AMD's really getting their act together and moving aggressively in these markets, is this going to take their eye off the ball, so to speak? and be a distraction while they still need more work to do to compete with NVIDIA and Intel. And so that's one of the potential criticisms of this deal. And it's not unlike what happened with AMD and ATI back in 2006, where the acquisition stumbled and caused AMD to lose its sight on the target of competing with Intel. And AMD slipped and Intel executed better than AMD did. And then that was a bad thing for AMD. <laughs> so the question is, can AMD execute on the Xilinx deal, stay focused on winning more share against Intel specifically? And then how do they integrate? You know, this is a big integration issue. And AMD doesn't have a lot of experience with this type of large acquisition. Yeah, I would agree. And it's interesting because even the Marvell Infi acquisition isn't a slam dunk. Now you'd think that, you know, this is a smaller one. These are two companies that don't necessarily have a lot of overlap. Marvell has a lot of interconnect technology based on traditional copper, where Infi brings in a lot of DSP mm -hmm. technology and the silicon photonics for optical interconnecting. It seems to be a great match. However, 
You have to remember that networking is one of the highest growth segments right now, along with the cloud and cellular infrastructure. And last time we saw a networking company go into an acquisition, it was highly contested, and that was Mellanox. It's a friendly acquisition, but it'll be interesting to see if somebody else doesn't try to step up and still infi. Well, the Mellanox deal did go through with NVIDIA, but uh, yeah, it's going to be challenging. I think the, the analog device Maximum one is actually the furthest along. It was the first announced, and that's probably... Well, even though it's a consolidation, that's probably the most straightforward of the deals as well. Again, I think the NVIDIA ARM one is going to be the biggest challenge. That could take easily 18 months to to complete, assuming the regulators don't throw up a big hissy fit like they did for Qualcomm and NXP. I would agree. And as we've discussed before, it could always just become a political pawn in the China-U.S. relations right now. Yeah, I mean, we got the election. So a good part of this will depend on who's in the White House in January. So that could change the tone of uh, these things going forward. That's true. You know, and I don't think we're seeing the end of this. I think we're going to see a lot more acquisitions announced once again because of that free money and high stock valuations and the requirement for TAM expansion. I think we're going to see a lot more acquisitions at least over the next probably six months. You know, eventually the economy is going to take a hit as a result of COVID. But as long as those tech valuations are up and the uh, general economy is growing, I think these companies almost have to take advantage of it if they're going to do it now. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a great opportunity and appetite for acquisitions right now. There are a number of companies that have solid portfolios, rebuilt management uh, structures. I think there's been a lot of of, uh, trimming of some of the weaker companies already. Then, of course, there is the the absolute flood, cornucopia of AI startups out there that at some point in time are either going to get hoovered up by somebody or or close up. A lot of these companies are so small, I don't think they can survive on their own. I think they're eventually going to have to be acquired. There's just too many of them out there. You know, I would agree, but I also fear the consolidation, the fact that some of these companies may be getting too big and we may have too few companies for competitive threat out there. However, I guess we'll save that for another podcast. Well, we had that not that long ago. Until the AI startups started kicking in, there was a dearth of silicon startups for a long time. You kind of forget it now because there's so many of them out there, but almost all the new startups are wrapped around some function of AI or there was a little bit of IoT for a while and then those guys are, were acquired. That's why I feel that the IoT startups that were acquired, I think the AI startups will also be acquired uh, or go out of business. But there's just too many of them out there and I think this is going to be definitely a consolidation. Yeah, same thing happened with 4G where most of those startups ended up being acquired eventually. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see. I, I definitely think we're at a market inflection point with AI, but the general economy and the market will also play a key factor. Well, 2021 will be interesting. We'll watch all this stuff play out next year. Okay, with that, I think it brings us to a wrap of another Tyrius cast. Please remember that Tyrius Research is a market research and advisory firm that provides custom research and advice to the entire high-tech ecosystem, from sensors to the cloud. This includes custom market sizing, product and company competitive analysis, M&A evaluations, product and corporate strategic planning, and marketing strategies. If you'd like more information about Tyrius Research or acquire better services, please contact us directly. I'm Kevin at Tyrius Research. That's T-I-R-I-A-S, research.com. And Jim is Jim at research.com. Also, we have Francis, who is not on this podcast, but Francis Hideko is also part of the team, and he can be contacted as Francis. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S at Tyrius Research. Uh, you can also visit our website. Surprisingly, it's called www.tyriusresearch.com. Please keep up with us on social media. Our corporate account is at, at Tyrius Research. My personal account is at Crewell. Jim's account is at 
Tech, T-E-K, strategist. And then also Francis is F. Sedeco, if you want to get to see Francis's post on Twitter. Also look for our articles and podcasts in Forbes, EE Times, ECT News, and Microelectronics in Taiwan if you read Mandarin Chinese. In addition, we have white papers, including a brand new one up there posted on our website, and a link to our newsletter, which you can also subscribe to if you'd like it sent to you directly by email. The newsletter comes out usually monthly and covers topics we covered in articles, research, and white papers. You can find this and other Tyrius casts on SoundCloud, Spotify, and also iTunes. Just search for Tyrius Research. Thank you for joining us. If you have any feedback on this Tyrius cast or recommendations for future Tyrius casts, please contact us directly. Once again, I'm Kevin at Tyrius Research, Jim is Jim at Tyrius Research, or Francis at Francis at Tyrius Research. Thank you for joining us, and have a great day.